Hello everybody and welcome to the Words Over Whiskey podcast, episode 4. I'm your host Henry and joining me is my co-host Tom. Hello! Let's start with the whiskey first of all. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Right, so this week, a bit different. It's we, a personal favourite favorite of yours, isn't it? It's one I, yes, one I've tried recently and I really quite like. It's one you haven't had before, so this is no, going to be... I've not had this one. This We've been talking be about it for a long time. Yes, I've, I've, I think I've mentioned it quite a few times to you, saying I think, oh, you really like this one, and I really like it. It's nice, smooth flavour. Um, I've definitely seen it on the on the um, shelf at my local pub, and I think, oh, so I get one? Then probably, I don't yeah. spirits at the moment. And I've, I've, I've spoke like other people I know who've, who aren't necessarily big whiskey drinkers. They say they've tried it and they really like it as well. So yes, the whiskey in question we are talking about is Woodford Reserve, and it's a... Uh, Kentucky bourbon whiskey. So we thought bourbon, we... bourbon, 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 bourbon. Bourbon's a biscuit. Bourbon's a biscuit. Yeah, bourbon, bourbon is a biscuit. Yeah, I guess bourbon. we were thinking of bourbon. And I'm really glad we're doing a bourbon this this episode, Henry, because John Wick drinks bourbon. <laughs> so I'm going to be sitting here like I'm Keanu Reeves or something in my black suit. I am literally in a black suit. Please confirm this. You're in a black shirt. You're not in a suit. Well, all I need is the jacket. I will go put the jacket on if you want. But I've taken I've taken it off. I can go put that on. It's a bit dusty. <laughs> See, this is a podcast, they're not really going to care because they can't see you. <laughs> it's for my own personal pride, more than anything. <laughs> anyway, so we thought, seeing as we'd done a Scottish, an Irish and a Japanese whiskey, we would now have an American. We're going to save an English for another episode. Well, hang on. Before we go move on to the American bourbon, of the the Scots, the, the Irish and the Japanese, which did you prefer? I think... The Japanese was probably my... Nick, Nicker from a Barrel. Nicker from a Barrel. That was probably my favourite. I really liked how strong it was. And how it was just... It was sort of like a wave of whiskey hitting you. Yeah. Metaphorically, that is. Yeah. Also, I would like a wave of whiskey to hit me. <laughs> I think, yeah, like we said in the episode itself, it was nice and smooth, but it had a nice little kick to it. Although I did like that Smoky Scots that I recommended. Yeah, yeah. I, you were more in favour of that than myself, but... Yeah. Anyway, so we'll move on to this one. So I'm gonna be I'm gonna be quite interested by your take on it. I can't I just say how much I love this cork like, for the bo- for the bottle. Yeah, it's a really nice like clear bottle, so you see the it's, top it's of the very cork well saved. It. Thank you very much. Realize I poured you quite a large glass there. It's almost like a brandy bottle. Get what I mean? Uh sort of. Yeah. Like a cognac or something. Cognac. 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 That's what yeah, I meant. See, I I, I got. I got uh, bourbon wrong. And... Okay, we're even. We're even. <laughs> but yeah, seeing as I've I've had this one before, it'd be quite interesting to see what your take on it is. Well, oh, cheers. cheers. What do you think it smells like? Whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from that, well, can you, I'm can not you pick wrong. up any? Uh, pick up any? Flavors? My, I'm not gonna lie. My nose at this time of year is not exactly uh, <laughs> bloodhound's nose. It um, smells strong. Um, <laughs> Perfect detail coming from Tom, right? Here. <laughs> yeah, it smells like whiskey. <laughs> smells strong. <laughs> I would say it smells a bit woody. Yeah. Well, so I expect from Woodford Reserve. Yeah, Woodford. Yeah, hint, hint is in the name. I'd almost say it's a little smoky, judging from the smell. Mm. I definitely, I, I definitely get the woody hints from it. But yeah. Let's give it a proof. Give it a try. Pudding for that. Give it a try. Oh, that's nice and smooth. Oh. That's what I would expect from one that you recommended. Yeah. You lost your voice for a second there. <laughs> no, I was still, I was still, still tasting it. So. I'd say it's much more sweet than ones we've had so far. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that's quite a nice sweet aftertaste. Almost vanilla-y? 
Vanillary. I want to say like a bit like vanilla, a bit of vanilla, hint of vanilla. Yeah, that's interesting. So I think, so my my take on it when I tried it was like, oh, you can um, you can almost it's nice. Like I've got a really nice woody taste. Like you can almost taste the barrel that it was. Yeah, made yeah, in. I'm getting that. And then as you it's said, definitely woody, definitely woody. And it's got like, you know, sometimes you smell wood and it almost smells sweet. Yeah, am I making sense here? Is that I, not I just the whiskey so, talking? Yeah. But uh, it, I sort of get like that. Fresh I can wood. taste the wood so well. I can taste the subtaste of the wood. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to get very, <laughs> starting to go like really far out, crossing the straws here. But um, yeah, it's almost like you can taste the barrel it was made in, and I definitely get. I like you. I agree. There's the sweetness for me. I was like, oh, is it a bit of vanilla or is it a bit of caramel? Yeah, that's, actually, that's could be caramel. It gets for me. It could be caramel. So yeah, so the flavor, flavored text of the whiskey is that um, detectable flavor notes from bold grain and wood uh, to sweet arom- aromatics, spice, and fruit and floral notes. I think they always say like floral, stuff. floral or spice, floral or spice. And I, I I I rarely get that from these whiskies. Yeah. Sweet, definitely sweet, sweetness, a bit sweetness. A bit of sweetness. Absolutely, but I would say almost to me it tastes slightly. Caramelly, slightly vanillary, like you said. Absolutely, one hundred percent. How how do you rate it compared to the others we've had so far? It wasn't as impressive as the Japanese one, but I say it's mm. definitely on par with Redbreast and Smokehead. I definitely, th- I don't think it's quite got the oomph that uh, Nicker had. Like no, that nearly oomph. Well, how strong was it? It's um forty-three point two. Yeah, ten percent less than yeah. roughly. By as Someone who favours a smooth whiskey, I I like a, a nice in the smooth whiskey. I like a nice bit of flavour. I think this provides that really nicely in like the slightly woody flavour, like we said. Mm. So that hence why I really like it. It's nice and flavoursome. It's flavoursome. It's smooth. You can sip this and get carried away. Actually, <laughs> yeah, I can test it. I think I've, I think I've, I've certainly bought a couple of bottles of it, and it's very. Very nice to sit in front of a fire and read and just have a couple of glasses of this. It's very, very easy to drink. It's very, it is. I would definitely say it's on par. Easily, I've I rated Smokehead above Redbreast. Mm. Uh, I would say it's on par with Smokehead. Yeah, you really like Smokehead, didn't you? <laughs> I, I, it was just so unique, these tastes. It was just so peaty. Mm. I just really liked it. I've never had anything like it before. Yeah, yeah I, think, I, I think I'd probably pick... Nicker above this. Mm, agreed. But I, I, I like both, definitely. I think out of the ones we've had so far, those would be my top two. I choose Nicker over this. Depending on how I felt, I might still choose Smokehead over this mm. because of how unique it tasted. Mm. But I reckon I could probably get sick of Smokehead's taste if I had it too often. But I'd definitely get sick of this. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm glad I got to share one of my current favourite whiskeys with you and I'm um, glad you enjoyed it as well and I'm glad you shared it with me because I'm enjoying it yeah it's good so Tom what have you been reading since the previous podcast well I've been struggling through another Brad and Tannison book don't take this the wrong way <laughs> I was I, I've not got anything against Brad and Tannison in fact I greatly respect him as a writer and a teacher and a person like, I, I watch his lectures 
from his uni on, on as a mentor, as a father figure. <laughs> father figure. <laughs> I've never met the guy. Um, no, there were, I think over the new year, uh, I might have mentioned it in a previous podcast. He um, sat down like two days before New Year's Day or something like that, and binge wrote fourteen thousand words for his latest book. It was like, whoa, okay, that must have been the whole day. How does he do it? So I, I greatly respect him as a writer, and uh, watching his lectures about creative writing, particularly his epic fantasy lectures, have been really helpful in my in my own development, in my own learning for what it is to be a writer. The book I'm, uh, the book I'm reading at the moment is The Will of Ascension. The second book in the Final Empire series. I love the first book, The Final Empire. Um, basically, because I know you haven't read it, Henry, mm. picture a fantasy novel where mm. the Dark Lord has already won. That sounds quite interesting. That's the premise. And, and, and he plays it really well. Oh, this rings a bell now. I think you have briefly mentioned it. I've probably mentioned it already. The characterization is excellent. Superb. Uh, even. And it, it was fresh in the genre, in my opinion, because the Dark Lord's already won. Yeah. And so how the guy's going to cope now? Yeah. Um, so, uh, it was very, ref- it was refreshing, and I just really enjoyed it. Not going to lie, but the Will of Ascension, its sequel, has just not delivered mm. on the same level. Like I think I'm halfway through, so that's what three hundred and fifty pages in, and I couldn't really tell you much of what happened. They all sort of blurred together. They all stay in one place. They all focus on this one problem. Well, obviously sub-problems within that problem. Mm. Whereas, obviously, in the Final Empire, they, they had a massive quest to, to complete, they had a massive goal, and they worked towards it. And so there was that progression, there was that sense of adventure, and I, I don't, I'm not getting any of that from this. So is it almost as if, in the first book, there was a lot of pace to it, it went quite quickly, yes, there was a lot, pacing. lot happening. I talk about this a lot. I, I, I like pacing. If the pacing is too slow for me in a book... I start to lose attention. Um, I, I, I just tend to not be engaged enough. Yeah. Even, even, I'm, I think that's just me being a bit of a snob and a bit difficult, maybe. Mm-hmm. I know I tend to sit here and rant about the really small things I didn't like about books. But what about um, like the characters and everything? Are they Do they make it interesting? or is it... The characters um, are really well, really well written. They definitely feel like real people. Uh, I, I think I should have read this closer to when I read The Final Empire. I think it's been a few years since I read The Final Empire. So there's some characters who obviously have had lots of characterization up to this point and I've forgotten because it's been years. Mm-hmm. And so I'm having to really introduce myself, re-befriend, if that makes sense, all, all these people. And it's a bit hard that there's some characters I'm like, who the fuck is that? Or a main aspect of fantasy books I love is how the characters' decisions affect the plot and, and guide the story. Um, but the council decisions so far in the world of Ascension, in my opinion, maybe I'm wrong and I've overlooked something. And by all means, um, anyone listening or yourself, Henry, I mean, if you do come to read and point it out to me, uh, they have, their decisions uh, haven't actually affected their path, if mm. that makes sense. Like maybe it'll affect what they do in, in like the case of an evening, but the grand scheme of things. So There's far, no major event. No major really... events. Everything's actually gone their way yeah. so far for 300 pages. Like, nothing majorly has gone wrong. So, so does it... You said it's the premise of the book is that, like, a Dark Lord's already won. So That's the it, first book. 
Okay, so does it focus? The on... second book, they've got new, they um, some old problems and some new problems. I won't, I don't want to reveal what happens at the end of the final empire for spoiler reasons, but um, but does, doesn't go exactly the way you, you'd expect. So does the book focus on kind of the Dark Lord character, or does it focus more on the supposed hero characters of that universe, or is that? Delving too much into... I'd say it focuses on both equally, but neither is the protagonist. Okay. That's, that's what I mean about how it not being exactly how you'd expect. Okay. So is it kind of more focused on the middleman then, really? Someone who isn't necessarily involved in the struggle of good it's and evil? It's a very typical story of an underdog rising up to become something great. And one thing that people have always told me about, I'm reading Sanderson... However, that I need to consider is you, you've got to wait, you've got to invest. And when you get to the end, it'll pay off. And whenever I do that, like when I did it with, when I read Reckoners, which is another series that he wrote, which I really like, um, it, it does pay off. It was entirely worth it. And it was like, not, I don't want to say mind shattering, but it was highly, it was highly satisfying. Satisfying yeah. is what I'd use. I'm not sure I've always had... Reckoners was was shorter books, like 400 pages each. This one's 700 that I'm reading at the moment. I'm not sure I'm going to invest that much time, that much effort, even if it is a good payoff. So it'd be be quite interesting to see once you finish it, what your your opinion is. Whether you'd be like, it was worth the wait. And like you said with the others, where you said uh, it was worth the wait and... You were impressed by it. Be interested to see if you think the same thing with this one. And so, is it how how many are in the series? Is it? Um, there's an original trilogy, and then there's several sequels that I think are set in the world's timeline a lot later. But I don't don't quote me on that. Okay. So, um, how, how many more pages have you got to go on it? About three, four hundred. About three hundred. Okay, so you're only halfway through. Yeah. Hence. Yeah, I think I found that with a few books recently I, th- I think like I mentioned in the previous podcast the Rick Riordan one I got it, it took me a bit of time to get into it but I think after the halfway mark I got much more invested into it so maybe it's the same for you you start things maybe start to pick up in it and it gets I'm, I hope <laughs> yeah. I'll definitely finish the book That's it just cool. might take me a while yeah I've also been reading a non-fiction book um, well you know when I, when I get a chance at work um, and forgive my French is called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson <laughs> and personally when it, when it was very kindly bought for me I thought I had the art of not giving the fuck pretty much down it's a subtle part I needed to have because I'm not a very subtle person as you know and I'm not going to lie the first page the first few pages were all about how the person reading the book is a loser and needs to accept that that's a little bit like the support is a gift <laughs> I want the person think but it's really helped me come to grips with questions in my life and maybe actually consider do I need to say this do I need to appease this person do I need to do go this far say this thing do I need to do it in 50 years time will it make a difference to me well I look back and go god I wish I'd been nicer to so and so or I wish I'd actually told so and so to fuck off no funny enough I, I've, I haven't read this book I've I had it on I had an audio audio version which I can't actually remember how I ended up with it. I think I somehow randomly ended up on my audiobook collection. I don't even remember like buying it or anything, but um, I had it and I listened to it, <laughs> and it is actually a really good book. Cause Isn't the, it? Uh, a the audiobook's really good because the guy reading it's very good and quite funny. But it's 
kind of the premise of the book in a way is tough love. It is definitely a tough love book. It's like it, today in the world, we're sold the idea that you're unique, you're special and everything. And Have you ever heard the term snowflake? Yeah. It's sort of like a slap in the face to people like that saying, no, don't, don't yeah. be like that. It's, it's not... It's not saying you're not a unique individual, but it's, it's kind of saying like all this worry and everything you have about you've got to go and you've got to do something amazing. You've, you've got, got to get rich. Special. You've got to do well. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Although I would like to point out, and it makes a distinction in the book, there's a difference between not giving a fuck and not giving a fuck about anything. Because mm. someone who doesn't care about anything is a psychopath. And no one wants to be like that. Yeah. Why you'd want to emulate something I think like that? The premise of it is it's not... It's so, holding to your ideals. Yeah. It's not giving a fuck about anything. It's just not giving a fuck about... Things that don't matter. Yeah. Like, you having to impress everyone, having to make everyone like you. Like, it's, for instance, you don't want to go out with your friends tonight. You'll tell them the truth. You don't give a fuck what they think. Yeah. Or, um, some, add to example in the book, someone cons your mother out of money and you're going to take them to court. You might have to fuck up their life. You don't give a fuck about that. You're going to do what's right. Yeah. It's about doing what's right and not caring about the consequences. It's 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 really good. It's like it's not it's it's it hits some hard truths like not everyone's gonna be rich and famous and don't give a fuck about appeasing everything, don't give a fuck about you you've gotta follow the same path as everyone else and everything. It's not go it's not like a go do what you want, do everything. You've it's a bit hard to describe. Yeah. You kind of need to read it. Um, and I think it is a message people need to hear. Yeah. Uh, um, you, you meet some people and you're just like, stand up for yourself more. Yeah. Um, or you meet other people who are just like, okay, back off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's definitely got some of the hard-hitting truths. Like, I think there is one of the chapters where it's like, in truth, you're not an outstanding individual and you're just like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> it's a little bit abusive. I won't lie. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit it's abusive. Like, yeah, you're not going to stand out from the crowd, but that's a good thing. <laughs> and and then it goes on to explain why, and you're like, oh, okay, that actually kind of makes sense. I don't actually need to worry about that. I don't need to give a fuck about that, as the book would say. But it's definitely, it's not, I wouldn't call it a motivational, motivational book. It's a feel better about yourself book, <laughs> in a way, in yeah. its own way. Although I, would, I, I like to think life doesn't mean as much without ambition I think ambition is really important mm. and I don't want people to get the wrong idea and think this book is all like don't yeah, have ambition it's definitely not it's definitely not a book where it's just like forget everything go sell your house sell your car go travel the world until you run out of money and then yeah starve to death it's <laughs> <laughs> it's more like I want to be rich to get rich I need to go through all this suffering and lose stuff to all my friends yeah. but I don't give a fuck about that yeah, that, a, that, that's the point of the book. And if you do give a fuck about that, then you shouldn't try and get rich. It's a good. It's a, <laughs> I don't know if we if we've done it justice. I don't think we have. I don't read these sort of motivational or even feel good about yourself. Yeah, books that often. It's, I leave that to you mostly, Henry. Because yeah. I feel quite good about myself ninety percent of the time. You're always talking about my ego. Yeah, it's been a couple. It's been a couple of years since I read slash listened to it. It's a, what I found about it is very refreshing. There are so many like motivational books out there where it's. Like you can do anything, believe in yourself, and go do whatever you want. Anyone Follow your that. dreams. Anyone can say that, but it takes yeah. a special kind of voice to say you're a fucking loser. <laughs> sort your just, life just, out, or well, not sort your life out. Just 
live with it. Um, but I'm glad you mentioned you listened to it because I, I haven't listened to audiobooks in years, not since I was a child. Yeah. Um, so I, I was thinking because Amazon do this thing where you can choose some audiobooks for free. Would you recommend? Not not to plug, by the way. This is not an advertisement. For <laughs> <laughs> this is not. No, this is not. I, I, I don't even know they still do that. Last time I checked my email, it was like months ago. It's probably like thousands in there, um, left in there. I'd say it's particularly to like our audience. If you're like someone who's, oh, I don't, I don't have time to read, but I know there's lots of good books out there. I would recommend audiobooks because it's great. Like, if you're like, oh, I got, I, I commute an hour to work each day. I got to drive an hour to get to work, but I, I'd like to spend that time learning something or listening to something entertaining. I would recommend audiobooks because it's just a really interesting way to learn something or listen to a good story. And I, I, I run because I'm training for a half marathon at the moment. I, Which might be cancelled. <laughs> yeah, thanks, coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> um, but whilst I've been uh, doing those runs, I've been listening to audiobooks. And one of the ones I was, I've been listening to is it's called Predictably Irrational. And it's kind of this book that's based around economics in a sense and how we as consumers make... ah a, a book about an audiobook about economics yeah i've been trying, having trouble sleeping this will definitely help me <laughs> <laughs> anyway but it's but it's it was recommended by a friend and it's uh the premise behind it is how we as consumers we make decisions that if they were explained to us at face value we'd be like what why did why did we make that decision like of course I'd make this other decision, but in this consumer behaviour, we've actually gone for this other option. One of the examples was that there are three uh, three subscriptions to a, a certain magazine. One was where it was web only, one was where it was the paper version only, and then one where it was the web and paper version combined. I can definitely see how it's going to help you sleep. <laughs> Not to be rude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking. Don't interrupt. Anyway, so the the web only version was like half the price of the other two, and the other two were ba- both the same price. And it was like people would be like, "Well, why would I buy the why would I buy the one version where it's only the paper version, where I can get the paper and the web version for the same price?" And that's the thing, people, they they jump, they see those two and they forget the other and they jump to the one where they think they're getting the better deal, whereas... It sounds like you don't just research stuff you buy very well, Henry. Well, no, it's the... <laughs> oh, this is this is the book. <laughs> I've it, been deliberately difficult for no, the it's, it's carried it's carried out by, uh, uh, he's, I think he's a professor of economics, um, but throughout the book he is talking about these various experiments that he and other people conducted and how each one relates to a various bit of consumer behaviour. Like another one was where they were testing people's honesty and they found that reminding them of the Ten Commandments before this experiment actually made them more honest. And so it's it's various like different things and how it can affect our behaviour and make us a bit more predictable in the consumer market. Yeah, I feel like we've gone off on the tangent on a little bit after the... <laughs> Uh, after your so how how does that translate into audio books and listening to them being a good experience reading and <laughs> listening to books is fun this is what 
the podcast about them. We're trying to spread them. Read books, people. Read books. <laughs> read books, but also listen to them. And also listen to them if you can't be bothered to read them. One of my favourite fantasy series of all time is the Malazan Book of the Fallen. And I'm pretty certain, I'm told, the um, person reading the, those books for audio is actually a really good reader. Unfortunately, the average size of those books is about a thousand pages. So it's probably going to be a couple of, probably about as long as this podcast, actually, or longer to read the book. Definitely longer. I was going to say, I've got um, the audio version of Game of Thrones and the first book, and that's like 30 hours. Yeah, I'm not going to listen to the, I, I can read the book faster than that. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to listen to it. This is what I mean. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> anyway, we've gone, gone off on a tangent from talking about your books to audio books to. <laughs> Game, of, Game of Thrones. <laughs> Game of Thrones. But <laughs> That's the point, isn't there, isn't it? That's the point of whiskey and chats. Yeah. So speaking of whiskey, let's have, let's get some more in. Yeah. So did you? So overall, you're did you're enjoying the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Yes. Although in future, I'm not going to be very subtle. <laughs> I feel like it's because I thank you very I much. have both the audio version and the book version. Um, I feel like it's one. It's one of those ones where I feel like I should go back and reread bits again or reread it again just because like I said it's been a while there's probably been various quotes in there that you could use in in your life I'm, I'm not about defacing physical books but if I, it, I would still like to highlight mm. certain pages maybe I'll book uh, not yeah, bookmark them or something that's why I have sticky notes <laughs> <laughs> if I find something really interesting I have a sticky note what have you been reading recently Henry so recently I've been reading a lot recently in space of I think about two weeks I read about four books that's pretty good how much are numbers but it's pretty good <laughs> but there's one of them which for the life of me I can't remember because I think in the previous podcast it was talking about Joe Abercrombie and the Blade itself it's a very good book um, I love that book but then I, w- I went to read a book after that and I can't remember what it is and then there's another two another three I've been reading since then so I'll talk about the ones I can remember. Um, the ones you, it sounds like they didn't stand out that much if you can't even remember them and you read them last week. I wouldn't say they don't stand out, but one of them I I, th- I read in a day. Um, it was re- it was a really nice, just very short book. Which um, is that one of your motivational ones, or was that? No, no, no. It's not. It's called uh, Night Shift Before Christmas. It's by a guy called Adam Kay, and he's a doctor turned comedian. Right. So he he wrote another book called This Is Gonna Hurt. So if he's always been very funny... Oh, I've heard of that. Not, this, this is gonna hurt. So if he's always been very funny, his bedside manner, if you're about to have an operation and he's gonna come and meet you beforehand, <laughs> must be amazing. Like, you've heard of laughing gas. Mm. You need to, like, save the NHS thousands on that. Yeah. Hopefully. So, so he, write, he wrote this other book called This Is Gonna Hurt, which I haven't read. The premise is that he, he used to work in the NHS... And he's a junior doctor who's blowing the whistle on some of the not, things. Is not actually blowing the whistle, but he's like, here's the, here's, the honest, here's the honest truth from the experiences of me as a doctor and the people I've worked with of what it's actually like for us working in the NHS. And so I haven't read that one, but the one he wrote, which is The Night Shift Before Christmas, which I wrote, I think, I think my mum gave it to me, I think I gave it to her for Christmas. Has she given it back? No, she she was like, oh, I think you'd find this really funny. I read it, and it's only about 140 pages, and it's a small book, so read it very quickly. It's both very comical, but very honest at the same time. Poignant? Am I saying that right? Poignant, yeah. It's, yeah, some of the stuff, he, he's very honest with, so this is, so this is what happened when I was working this Christmas, and it's just, 
very honest stuff as to what problems he encounters <laughs> whilst and what some stupid patients come in with, like slightly disturbing things, what people have done with crackers or <laughs> parsnips or anything. I'll leave that to your imagination. <laughs> but, Sounds like someone like from a bad eighties comedy or something. Yeah. But it's his so there's that there's that blunt honesty of, yeah, so that actually happened, but other stuff where he puts he in, he injects a bit of comedy into it where like he, or parsnips up strange no, places. No, not that. Not that. <laughs> but, like, injects a bit of truthful honesty on, like, what he thinks of, like, people people he's worked with or various things that go on. I think there's one bit where he's quite scathing of a politician who came, who came in around Christmas to shake hands and look really good for the media whilst then going home two hours later whilst they've all still got a lot of work to do. <laughs> but... So yeah, that was a nice, really short book. Yeah, a bit comical and made me laugh at times and everything. And then the other one was, again, one of my special forces uh, books by, called Relentless by a guy called Dean Stott. He was a ex-SBS member. He was actually a... Fra- SBS? Uh, special Boat Service. So you've got the SAS and the SBS. Uh, SAS, you'll often have people from the army or the paratroopers go into... Whereas the SBS tends to be, um, usually they have an influx of Royal Marines. Royal Marines usually end up. But the interesting thing about Dean Stott was that he was a he was like a he was an engineer commando. So he went through the he he joined the Royal Engineers, did the commando program uh, to become a royal engineer commando which means they can wear the green beret but he then opted to go into the sbs rather than the sas which was quite unusual lots yeah. of people were wondering why he was doing that and it's because he trained as a diver and he thought well i think i should i'd naturally fit better in the sbs because the sbs they're much more water-based mm-hmm. so um, i would choose the sas a because of the sas and b because i fucking hate water <laughs> Do you, do you like jumping out of planes then? I don't like that either. I hate heights even more. You see, I, I heard in the Troubles in Ireland, the SAS would like hide in like a ditch and shit into bags and wait for their targets to appear. That I can do. Sit on my ass and do fuck all for like a week and wait for something to happen. I can do that really well. Yeah, so funnily enough, that's what this guy Dean said. <laughs> he, he also trained as part of like a recce uh, reconnaissance um, unit when he was in the engineers. <laughs> so that was stuff he had to do. um but yeah the the book doesn't actually focus too much on his time in the sbs it's only about the first i'd say 80 pages he's probably not allowed to talk much about yeah so he can't talk about but even so his army career he doesn't talk much about it and that's because the book is focused on his record breaking attempt to cycle from the very bottom of south america all the way up to the very top of Canada. Uh, Canada. I think it's called the Panem Highway. It's two. Uh, it's twenty-two thousand kilometers, and so he cycled that in. That's very impressive, but doesn't have much to do with the army. It's it's because this is what he did when he left the army. So uh-huh. he uh, he had a parachute accident, um, and after recovering from it, he wasn't sure what to do with his life, and that became his focus. And he did it for charity as well. And I think they re- he raised just under a, a million pounds Ooh, for a charity. That's really good. But whilst, do- whilst doing this, he broke two world records as well. Yeah. And he 
he broke the world record for cycling from the bottom of South America to the top in the fastest time, and then uh, cycling uh, for the fastest time. Well, from... some parts of South America are like very dangerous, yeah, war-torn so... areas. Yes. None of them are war-torn, but they've definitely got gang crime and things like yeah, that. Yeah, so there were times in the book where he's talking about border crossings and everything, yeah. which were a bit sketchy, going through areas which were quite sketchy. But yeah, so the book was more focused on his cycling than anything else. Another interesting thing was that he, he was actually good friends with Prince Harry. And at the time he was doing the cycle, he re- he was invited to the wedding. And he realised, I've got to cycle back to make sure I'm back in time for the wedding. <laughs> wedding. And he, he so he managed to get the whole journey under 100 days as well. I think he did it in like 99, 98 days. So yeah, I... I don't think it would go down as one of my favourite Special Forces books that I've read. It was definitely... It's it's amazing to read what he yeah, what, accomplished what and everything. It's, I, I think really if, like that idea of people travelling like that. Like, if I talk to people who've been travelling, they say, oh, I've done Paris, or I've done Tokyo. Mm. It's sort of like, you sound so stupid. I uh, like the... Uh, like, there's a... Um, with the fact that you can say, yeah, I so- cycled through all these different countries. Exactly. And I this amount of charity. And I travel this Also, um, he's actually seen real parts of the world. He's not seen the tourist areas. He's not seen the most glamorous cities. Mm-hmm. He's seen places where real people live. Yeah. So I think it... If you're interested in reading a book about someone... He, he's an individual who's accomplished a great feat. Mm. It's, it's amazing. Like, <laughs> damn, I'm here sitting... Doing a podcast, drinking whiskey, and he's he's cycled that far, and it is. I think if you're someone who likes reading about cycling and stuff, definitely it would be a book for. It definitely be a good book for someone who loves cycling. (laughs) Yeah, I I really like the idea of people traveling around the world and doing interesting things. Mm. But I think there's a BBC program where the ordinary people are taken somewhere. And put in teams, and they've got to race across the world without going on a plane. I can't remember what it's called. Someone talked to me about it the other day. Oh yeah, I think the new season of it started recently. Yeah, I think it is. It's race across the world. That, oh, well, I, think that's that's I, I could have guessed that name, and then I think about it. Yeah, I think it's. I've not seen it, but it sounds great. It's something I'd love to do with my friends. Yeah, they've got to get from one one place in the world to another. But I don't. I, I don't think they can use. They can't use their they can't own fly. money. They can't, they can't. They've given. They've given a certain amount of money. They can't use their own money. But I give them like a book of places where they can find a job. So like, I think there was one episode and they've got to get from uh, Greenwich to Singapore. Obviously, well before Corona, because if you try to do that now, you're going to die. Yeah. I, I mean, um, <laughs> no, you're not. You are not. It's not. But then like, the, like you'll see them washing dishes in like mm. a restaurant in France or somewhere, and then sleeping on the floor mm. to save to save money and earn a bit of cash. You have been um, lobbying me towards Castlevania. Yes. Nice segue so on there. Very nice segue. Thank you very much. I'm quite proud of myself. Um, and you, you, you wanted me to watch Castlevania for a while. And I did watch seasons one and two, and I loved them. And season three came out, and you said it's just as good. So I watched it so all the way through, and I, I did love it. The storyline, I love. I love I loved this series. It's based on old Nintendo video games called Castlevania, which builds a lot on the sort of Transylvania lore of Dracula and demons and so on. And it takes us as inspiration to make... It's a Western animation, but yeah, almost so it's a, it's an anime a, It's style. a series on Netflix, um, which I think started like a year or so ago. I think the first season only had about four episodes, but they were very, very well done, really nice um, animation style. And so since then, another two se- seasons have come out. It focuses on... Yeah, uh, Dracula, his son Alucard, <clears throat> a monster hunter 
with Trevor Belmont and the uh, mage as well. And it's it's very dark and gritty. It's mm. <laughs> there are some bits. It's not very dark. Yeah, not about gritty. But it's definitely very dark. I'd call it. I'd call it dark and gritty, especially when you're they're slaying monsters and Trevor Belmont sometimes does things a normal human shouldn't be able to do. And I get he comes from a line of monster hunters and monster slayers, but they, he sometimes defies human physics, which is why I wouldn't say it's gritty. Uh, he is almost superhuman in a way in his skills considering he spent most of his life drunk in a ditch he's almost superhuman in his ability to kill things well, seeing as <laughs> yeah see, well seeing as there's magic and demons and portals <laughs> okay, and I, I suppose um, martial arts isn't too much of a stretch is yeah. it Fine, the final episode had <laughs> the, the animation style for that final battle was stunning yes yes it was I'll grant you that it was very good so I think uh, it's definitely a season if you like um, like fantasy and you like animation and if you like a bit of comedy as well because I think is it is it Stephen Armitage who Richard Armitage Richard the Armitage. guy who plays foreign in the Hobbit the Hobbit films yeah, he voices majestic Trevor. motherfucker <laughs> very majestic and his voice acting is superb some yeah. of Trevor's lines are brilliant oh. absolutely hilarious yeah so the, some of the some the writing for it and the voice I'd acting. I'd say it's a bit similar to The Witcher. Both focus on monster hunters. Yeah, but this is animated. this is much darker and it's yeah. animated. Although they're making an animated Witcher film, so mm. because it'd be good to compare the two actually. Mm. Right, they are. Oh, yeah, I wasn't aware of that. They said Mark Hamill might play Vesemir in the animated version <laughs> now. <laughs> but no, I I really enjoyed Castlevania. My only gripe with the third season was I thought it was much more slow than the first two seasons. Yeah, it all sort of blended into one. I can kind of see it because like, it's, 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 it's a longer it's a longer season than the, than the previous ones, but a lot of stuff happens with the characters, but they're all based in a single location. Well, yeah, so it, yeah. It follows various different characters. Some storylines aren't resolved. Like the sort of if if we take the character's journey, for instance, the journey doesn't reach its conclusion. Mm. characters don't go that full arc I, I think it might be being set up for a fourth season it definitely it, is yeah. if a fourth season comes out I would recommend to viewers in my opinion that they wait until the fourth season comes out bins mm. what's the third season and go straight up to the fourth one but what I, I that's what I would recommend so I'm not going to go too heavily into spoiler territory here but something that happens in this third season is that it opens it opens up this Castlevania world to the potential connection to other worlds. I'll leave, uh, uh, yeah, I'll actually, leave that. after the podcast, I do want to talk, ask you, Henry, about some of the references that are made and yeah. see if you know what they were, because I was lost. But, um, yeah. But the uh, characters were, funnily enough. Yeah. I suppose that helped my impression. That's all fine. Don't worry, I have no fucking clue either. But yeah, there was, so there, there op- it opens up this connection to other worlds, which is um, interesting. So I was listening to something the other day which said, the guy, I think it's, the, uh, it's either one of the directors or one of the producers on the show, is also going to produce slash direct a Devil May Cry animated series for Netflix. Ah, see, I was bought that game and never played it. Yeah, and then there's, there's the other thing that that's somehow going to be connected to this Castlevania series in its own kind of, I think they titled it Bootleg Multiverse. Which, what would be your opinions on that if they took... If if they took the whole style of animation, the style of storytelling of Castlevania, I mean, a bunch of other shows like that, I would love it. Mm. I, I think... But I, what would be your opinion on them tying it together in a kind of Avengers-style 
multiverse because I've you... always liked that actually sometimes I'll read books and I'll imagine what it's like for characters some other books I've read if they showed up in this book really? Mm-hmm. yeah I know I would it, it amuses me to think about these character interactions and so the idea that they would take these various and amazing styles and not merge them but let them interact yeah like imagine Trevor Belmont with all these funny beating Dante lines. from Devil May Cry yeah, yeah Ima- imagine imagine <laughs> Those two character worlds collide in. Imagine the interactions that would happen. I think it could definitely be funny, but at the same time, I'm slightly hesitant because I'm like, they're both very separate. They, they have their links because Castlevania is about hunting vampires and everything, and Devil May Cry is also about monster hunters and demon slayers and everything. So I can I can see how they'd merge in that way, but I, I'm, yeah, I'd, I'd rather I'd, I'd rather be very different. Like, so we've got the monster hunters in the Castlevania world, then they meet, I don't know, a very different society to do, do very different things. There's an entirely new problem, and the monster hunters and the new people, I don't know, I say they're technologically advanced, and they've got to deal with, I don't know, evil clones or something, and they've got to combine to deal with this new threat. Mm. And they've both got to um, learn about each other's skills and learn new skills to yeah, deal with something. That's, that's kind of becoming, it's, it's not even... It's not, combi- it's not yeah it's not anything it's not even combined it's combining the two into something completely brand new which might not not necessarily work but what i was going to say is that it could it be something a bit like the the dc multi um like the arrowverse where they combine the arrow and the flash oh no so, no i it, hated it, the crossover episode could it be something like that where they kind of only meet for like an episode or two and then go back to their own shows and they No somehow, i wouldn't like that yeah. because i i didn't like the flash so i'm sorry some of the villains, their names and their characters were stupid. They were like plucked directly out the sixties, and they just didn't work in a modern setting. Like a name like Captain Cold. What exactly do you expect? <laughs> I, 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 the whole point of Arrow for me was they, that he was a normal man who's got this exceptional skill, and he's fighting like like normal people, um, like criminals or occasionally the, the um, medically advanced super soldiers. Uh, and I liked how he was a man. Uh, if you beat the arrow, it's because you were skilled. You were skilled enough to beat the arrow. Whereas the Flash comes along, he's some nerdy kid who's got these powers that make him almost unstoppable, and he beats the arrow because he's got these powers. And it, it just makes the whole the arrow seem useless. Like the arrow's trained for years and years and years to be as good as he is, and Barry Allen gets hit by a thing that makes him give him lightning bolt or whatever, and suddenly he's better than the arrow will ever be. Mm. He can go through fucking time. What I find funny with with it happens. So, it's a very cliche, but it happens with a lot with people with superpowers. And I think I because it's because I saw the Sonic movie recently. I didn't watch that. Yeah. But is it worth me watching it? It was it was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. It had, it had quite a lot. Did of Jim Carrey break his back carrying the whole film? He there was I wouldn't say he carried the whole film, but it there was definitely some. It was definitely. Like the director said to him, just be you, just be Jim Carrey. <laughs> but there were some very weird bits, like one bit where he just randomly breaks into a dance number for some no, re- no reason. I'm like, why, why was that in the film? But something that I've... Going off on the tangent again. It, what <laughs> I, I, find, I want to watch him more now. You've done a good job. Yeah, we seem to go on a lot of tangents with this episode. But what I find funny with any character who has super speed. They can dodge bullets, they can dodge rockets, they can dodge... But then, as soon as there's some, something like... 
villain tries to punch them or whatever, they get punched. Yeah, they yeah so, something really true. Like I think in one of the Flash ep- Flash episodes, he gets hit by an arrow, and in the Sonic film, he gets shot by a tranquilizer dart. No big spoiler, if I'm honest. And it's like, how can you dodge bullets and missiles and everything, but you can't. Dodge well, that. It's very simple, Henry. These particular items have been enhanced with plot power, mm. <laughs> and you can't you can't do anything about that. Ah, uh, plot armor. It's like you know when you see something in media where someone can cut through anything, and it tries to cut the hero, and it can't, mm. and no one explains it. That's plot armor. Mm. And these weapons must have some sort of plot power that lets them yeah. go through that. Anyway, <laughs> gone off on the tangent. Again. We have gone off on the tangent. So yeah, the combined. Devil May Cry, Castlevania, potential multiverse in Netflix. I'm not. I, I'd be interested to see each as its own animated show. I don't necessarily feel like they need to be connected. I think there could be like that loose connection, like that they are somehow linked, um, or there could be like little hints or references to each. But I don't think they necessarily need to come together for their own like special episode. Well, I don't really see what sort of threat they would face if they came together. Like, there's no games or books or anything where these medias collide. Mm. You're right. I don't think they need to have episodes where they join together. I'd probably still enjoy it to see the characters meet and insult each other. Anyway, moving on from one TV show to another. So, HBO and The Last of Us have just announced that they are working together to create a... It's Naughty Dog, isn't it? Who made The Last of Us? Yeah, so Naughty Dog Naughty and HBO. Dog, HBO are going to be working together to make a Last of Us TV series. I can't wait. That's one of the <laughs> best stories in video games I've ever come across. Yeah. It broke me, that story. It broke me. I have lots of theories about it. I love fanboying about this. Uh, but I'm not a huge fan of zombie apocalypses in total because they always boil down to redneck survival stories. <coughs> Walking Dead. <laughs> but... I love this version because it actually has an explanation for why there's fucking zombies. Mm. The cordyceps virus. Mm. Oh, sorry, fungus, even. Sorry. Uh, viruses beginning with the name C are really affecting my mind at the moment. <laughs> um, well, you've got it right. It is cord- it it's is cordyceps, cordyceps, but it's not a virus. It's a fungus. Fungus, yeah. Uh, my, uh, we've been thinking a lot, though, haven't we, Henry? But yeah, who would they play to cast it? Well, I think, first of all, I think um, we've been talking to other people as well that we... No, and they say, I and I agree with them, we don't want it to follow the story of the game. Don't oh. want it to follow the story of the game, because what's the point in rehashing a story that's already been told? What mm. we... Um, so, yeah, I spoke no, to, I get they, that. And I agree with them. What would be a really good idea is either following stories that happened before the game, or following various different characters, like uh, Tess. She was a... Um, she wasn't a character who was in the game a lot, but she well, was see, an important... Well, um, see Joel's friend. She beginning. was Joel's friend yeah. at the beginning. And um, so it'd be interesting to like maybe follow... Someone suggested to me, oh, we could have a story about a younger Joel, or we could have a story about Joel and Tess when they're working together, or we could even follow different... We could have uh, individual episodes... Um, focusing on characters we met in the game and like what happened to them after the game or stories set with them before the game. And I, an idea I came up with, I think if yeah, if if they took the premise that they're going to follow a different character each episode, I think what would be a great idea for an episode 
would be so following someone who got infected with the fungus. So and what's the degrade? Yeah, so following them from I'm a person to oh crap, the uh, apocalypse is going down to I'm escaping, I'm in a refugee camp and then somehow I get the virus and then they begin to go through the stages of becoming one of the, the clickers, one of the zombies, one of the, the infected and then at the end of the episode you could have them like fully infected and then either Joel or Ellie come and kill them. And kill them. And uh, that's, yes. quite, that's quite good. Yeah. So okay. hang on, Neil Druckmann. No, if you happen to listen to this, <laughs> I'm I'm free and available as a creative <laughs> consultant. I'm looking for a new job. So yes, you are. And I get what you're saying, Henry. But as I've said already, the story of The Last of Us, the game, is one of the best stories told in gaming. This is widely known. It would be a shame not to don't say immortalize it in the you on, think on screen, open, open it up to other audiences yeah don't. open it up to other audiences use this amazing material that's won awards i don't but here's but the, just but put a new spin on it because obviously um in the video game it, the whole story is based around video games so it's a lot of i don't want to say fetch quests but it's a lot of go here do this uh, get through this obstacle it's very object um, object based, uh, ob- objective based. You have a goal. You always have a goal to complete. So the player always has something to do. Whereas in the TV show, you wouldn't need to do that. You could have more characters rather than just the two of them. Like Tess could live longer, or other other cats could live longer. No, I think I'm going to disagree with you here because I think what would be better is have this TV series where it's following... It's kind of established... It helps to establish the world a bit, but it establishes these other characters. Then what it could do from that is make people interested in the game. So someone would be like, oh, this is a really good TV series. I want to learn... Oh, it's based off a game. I'm going to go play that game because this was a really good story. I don't think... But they wouldn't know it's a good story unless they see glimpses of that story. I That's the thing. I don't think they should rehash it. I think that would be a waste, if I'm honest. And I don't, I, I don't think they're going to retell the story. I think what they might do is, like I said, they might follow various different characters and, di- and a different storyline. One of the interesting things is from the very brief teaser they've sh- shown it is, for those who know, in the game there's this resistant group called the Fireflies and they have a particular emblem. And in the teaser they've shown for it, they show that emblem. So I think what the TV series might be based around is it's following... the Fireflies trying is, to find... Yeah, it's following a group of the Fireflies members. Okay, a new story, entirely new story, rather than... Yeah, entirely new story I could get behind. If it's just every episode just follows a different character in, in, in its own self-contained story, I've never been a huge fan of short stories. I wouldn't be able to get behind it as much. I get what you're saying about not adapting The Last of Us story, original story. I still think, I mean, if you look at every single other adaptation, they go back to the original media and they adapt that. Mm. I'm not saying that they couldn't include stuff from the original game story, like characters or anything. Like, they could have, like, Joel and Ellie, who are the two men. They could have them, like, appear in an episode or two, but I don't think they necessarily have to feature in the whole thing. But, yeah, going back to, I think, before I interrupt you a little while ago, who, about who you think could play Joel and Ellie, the two main characters. I agree with a very popular opinion. Hugh Jackman already looks the part of Joel. He's a, he needs to work on his southern accent, but I think he would be great. I know you prefer the guy who plays Jamie Lannister in Game of Thrones. What's his name? 
See if you can pronounce that's all this whiskey. Nikolai Costa-Walder, I think he is. can, apparently. He does look good, but he's got a beer. He does look the part. Yeah, there's a picture circulating the internet right now of him, where I think he's got a beard. beard, yeah. And everyone says he looks really like the character of Joel. And I think think he'd be... I, I love Hugh Jackman, but I could see him, I could see Nicola cost the world of more. But think as... think of Hugh Jackman in Logan. Yeah, but that's the thing. Minus just, the claws. I, I would just be thinking, oh, it's it's low, it's it's Wolverine without claws. That's the same about Nicola. I'd be like it's Jamie Lannister with both hands. <laughs> no, 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 you got it wrong. That's fucking Jamie Lannister. That's fucking Jamie Lannister <laughs> <laughs> with both hands. <laughs> but yeah. If a bit of Game of Thrones reference there, if anyone gets <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, I, that's the thing. That, those two people, those two have been sent, and I can't think of anyone else who... They, they're going to completely go and pull someone out. out yeah, they'll, 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 they'll some obscure person and be like, ah. Whereas an actress... What about Gerald Butler? Gerald Butler. Gerald Butler. Oh, God. The guy from, like, Olympus is down and London... Olympus has fallen. London has fallen. Oh, if yeah. He, if he grew a beard... Potentially, I, mean, I reckon he'd be right. Yeah, he could I, do it. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not seeing him act amazingly before. He's not got like the star power of Hugh Jackman, Russell Crowe, maybe. Russell Crowe. Would Russell Crowe work? Um, uh, he's sure. a good actor. Mm. He needs to work on his southern accent, of course. <laughs> Is that the requirement? You just have to have a deep South American. Well, you can't be Joel without that accent. You can't. I'm sorry, it's not done. Texas draw, yeah. I can't. I think some people recommended Ellen Ellen Page for um, Ellie. Ellie, to be fair, I can see she that. Looks, but I think, yeah, she was good in the Umbrella Academy, though. Yeah, that was a, another good series. Yeah, I, I could potentially see it, but I think yeah, she probably she probably wouldn't. They probably they definitely go for someone who is actually closer to the age of Ellie, who's like what fifteen, sixteen. Yeah, something like that. Like that. Yeah. Um, I think it's a bit younger, actually. Like 14, I think it is. 14. 13, 14, yeah. yeah. But, the, again, there's in that in that picture where it was, uh, the guy who plays Jamie Lannister, there was another actress who was, there was a picture of her as Ellie, but I have no clue who it was. But whoever it was did look, really look a lot like her. But yeah, I, I don't think we're going to see see this for another year or two, at least. At least, at least. So it'd be, it'd be, it'd be interesting if we're, Still in the podcast at the time where Apparently. we will look back and be like, we were right, we were right, or we were really wrong, we were really, really wrong. wrong. Probably we were really wrong. Yeah, Apparently, right. though, there is a curse, this metaphorical curse on video game adaptations. Hmm. Think of the last video game adaptation you bought that was good. Sonic. <laughs> you thought it was good? It, I, I didn't hate it. Didn't hate it. it was... Well, I have heard that Sonic might be breaking the mould a little bit. Yeah. But fun, funnily enough, you mentioned this because I was listening to a, a different podcast earlier where they're saying that the Uncharted film is actually entering production now. Not with Tom Holland. Yeah, with Tom Holland, which I have to admit, I can't. I could see him playing a young Nathan Drake. I can't see him playing Nathan Drake. <laughs> <laughs> I could see him playing Nathan Drake in the flashback scenes like in yeah. Uncharted 3, but I'm like, please, please don't. I like Tom Holland, but... Please don't make him the main Nathan Drake. He's, he's just not old enough. He's just not... Like, Nathan Drake is a man and Tom Holland is still a boy <laughs> in many ways. He's like the same age as us. 
We're still boys. We're not old. No matter how many people look at me and say, oh god, are you 30 or something? I'm 22. <laughs> You're 22. I'm 23. Holland is what? You're young at heart. That's how we... We are young. I'm sorry. We are young. <laughs> I don't care how many people say we're old. Yeah. I, I Uncharted... Not Uncharted. Last of Us series could be very interesting, I think. And... Another really great thing about it is that Neil Druckmann, who was the head writer and director on The Last of Us uh, 1 and the upcoming game uh, 2, Last of Us 2. I can't wait for that game. He, he is helping to write the TV series, and so is, um, I don't know his name, but the guy who directed the Chernobyl TV series for yeah, HBO. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Fantastic. That's fantastic. really good. So the two of them combined, you know it's going to be good. Yeah, to be honest... That's what I'm saying about it maybe breaking the mould of video game adaptations. I think it will be a very good series. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the future. So, with well, having talked about video games and video game show adaptation, again, going back to video games and this time tying it to very current issues. Namely, the coronavirus. Or COVID-19. Or COVID-19. Apparently, I've, I've heard YouTube videos that mention the word the phrase coronavirus being demonetized mm. because um, the corona company um, <laughs> yeah, is well. getting very upset that they're losing sales because of this virus. For the record, corona, I've bought lots of your beer prior to this episode. Please do not <laughs> take, us, you know, take us to court or anything for mentioning this. I love your beer and I will keep drinking it regardless of virus association. Yeah, association. The people worried that the beer itself was causing virus. Anyway. <laughs> it's not that bad. Trust me. It's, it's actually pretty good. I love corona. <laughs> Shameless plug there. Yeah. No, yeah I, please send me free samples of new corona. <laughs> Anyway, tying, uh, as we were saying, tying our discussion on video games and adaptation to current news, one of the biggest gaming shows that happens each year, E3... One of the biggest gaming conventions where they reveal new games. Yeah, has been cancelled due to concerns over the virus and um, lots of people being present. And so I'm... What I'm interested in here is your opinion of what you think this means for future gaming events because PlayStation who were one of the main attendees of they've um, always got a big presence at E3 they always have until about for the past year or two where they've since gone and done their own thing I always so thought Nintendo, that was in the build up to PS5 yeah so I, just, like, I almost read an article today actually I've really sort of about Nintendo's response to E3 being cancelled mm. I said Look, that's, that's what I'm that's what I mean. Uh, Nintendo and the PlayStation have gradually been drawing back from E3 to do their own thing. What with the Nintendo Directs and the PlayStation, um, their own online videos. So instead of attending big conferences like this, they've been sending out their own videos so that everyone could see it. And so that what a lot of games journalists are saying now is... Is this the end of E3? Is an event like this going to die off because not as many people attend anymore? Not as many people. In my, in, to be honest, I've never attended E3. When, you whenever have to, you E3, have to be um, journalist to. Attend. Yeah, really. Whenever E3 has been on, I will maybe set up notifications or go and check about the games or studios that I actually really care about. 
Like, I'm a big Bethesda fan, even after the whole 76 fiasco. And then big Nintendo fan, especially Pokemon Animal Crossing. Um, but the other, I've not really looked at the whole thing entirely. Mm-hmm. I've not really watched... It's not. It's not really on TV. I can't really just flicker over to the channel and then it's like you can like, watch like, it live on YouTube and they watch do it live streams. on YouTube. But I'm never really bothered. That makes sense. Yeah. Like I mean, because it's America. It's it's in America, isn't it? Yeah. Sometimes it might be on when I want to be asleep or whatever. And so if um, companies you're not like me, you don't stay up and watch it because I've done no, that. No, I like my sleep, Henry. <laughs> I like being asleep. Um, so if 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 E3 died and if um, studios has announced games whenever they felt it would be most productive to do so yeah. on social media. You know, it, it would take a lot of the magic out of it. So if I look forward to E3, so many new games are going to be announced. Oh, this has been a good E3. This game was announced. I and mean, We learned more about this game and so on and so on and so on. Yeah. Although that would be great. Like, I remember that E3, was it 2014, when they revealed Fallout 4 and I was so hyped because I'm a big fan of Fallout. I'm a massive Fallout fan. As you know, I've got this tub in my cupboard of all these bottle caps I'm collecting for when the apocalypse hits I'm going to be rich I'm going to be balling might be sooner than we think with all that's going with on with the coronavirus and I don't see why we'd use bottle caps then but that's beside the point I would feel bad if E3 died because it's like a convention literally it's like a con- it's a um, what's the word I'm looking for um, not condition um, tradition Tradition. It's a game in tradition. <laughs> it's, it's condition. That's it not rhymes. the right It's it a tradition. It rhymes. Um, it's a game in tradition every year where all the major games are announced here. And I suppose mm-hmm. it's, it's convenient that if you if a new game is going to be announced, it's going to be announced at E3. Yeah. I but don't that's how it has been for the past few years, but that's why it's interesting with the step back of... Nintendo and PlayStation. I mean, I don't it's, know why E three has been cancelled. I think it's just Americans it, overreacting. America hasn't I, had that I many cases of Corona, and as you say, not that many people I, attend E three. If it wanted to, could go entirely no, digital. A, a lot of people do attend. It's. I think what it what it is is that like a a lot of the other conference. I, um, judging from other podcasts I listen to which have I, I listen to like other j- games journalists or people involved in the games industry <laughs> and something they always bring up with when they go to other com- conferences like PAX PAX East or South or uh, Gamescom and stuff like that is that often they'll come away with a they come a, come away with a con like a con flu they, they get because so many people were in contact with each other and uh, illness and colds and everything can spread really easily. Oh, I understand that. Hence then. why I think they've gone ahead and said one of the biggest gaming conferences this year has had to be cancelled because of so that. Because what I mean is, E three could go entirely digital if it wanted to. Mm. Like E um, three, that's what where I can see it going. And I think that's the thing. People are saying E three is kind of on its way out, and everyone's going to go digital because. Nintendo do their own digital thing. PlayStation do their own digital thing. How long is it? Who who are the other major players at E3? Xbox, Ubisoft, and Devolver Digital. Devolver, not Devolver. Is it Devolver? I think it what? might be. Devolver. They're, they're the um, PC, PC focused. Valve? No, it's not that. I think it. I think it is Devolver. Um. Anyway, there's a there's another section of E3 which is PC focused. I think they already do their own sort of 
stage slash live stream bit. So it's Xbox, Ubisoft, uh, Bethesda, like you said, they they can all go digital. They can all just... So I, I don't see why it was actually cancelled and why it didn't just say... Maybe they'll still do E3, actually, and it'll just be digital. But I don't see why they have to cancel the whole thing. Like, the actual physical side, I understand. As you say, if they get flu from the conventions anyway... That's the thing, because it is a physical thing. It is... It's, takes place in a conf- massive conference hall and everything. I think that's why they've had to cancel it is because but what I can see see with this and what I've seen other games journalists um suggest is that E3 is on its way out and people will be more they'll either run their own events or will be entirely digital. I don't mind it being digital. I can't see myself you can watch it from the comfort of your own home. Well, yeah, exactly. I can't ever see myself actually going, you know what, I'm going to go to E3. As you said, mostly it's just journalists and developers who actually get to be there. Mm. So if I'm not going to be watching it online anyway, if it turns out to go entirely online, I may as well. Mm. I think the one... It doesn't affect me at all. The shame it might be for like smaller smaller developers, indie developers, where they're like, yeah, E3 is our big chance to show off what we've been working on, showcase it, and now they're like, damn, how are we, how are we going to show off our game trying to fight against the traffic that's going to be going towards all these other big games? How are we going to get our game to stand out and everything? But it wasn't as though I was checking out all the indie games and I was looking at E3 last year or the year before. It was, you know... I was only looking at the games I'd heard chatter about and was interested in. So they've got to get that chatter out. And then I'll actually go, well, where can I learn more about this That's game? The thing I can learn more about it here. Their the chatter can be swallowed up by the bigger... It was for, it's of... swallowed up anyway. Like if um, Bethesda announced the next Elder Scrolls game. Or if, you know, the next, I don't know, name a big franchise. Assassin's Creed game or whatever. It's just to make a, you know, another one which is exactly the same gameplay. There's still swallow up small, smaller things. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, let's but say think, you yeah. chatter, it's about chatter about a game where you fight ninjas and you're a demon. I don't know, and it's really good. And then Bethesda announced next Elder Scrolls. I'm only going to care about the Elder Scrolls game. Mm. Your game is going to be lost. Maybe that's because you're already invest. You're you're already so invested in that series. In that series, well, yeah, but so are millions more people than that entirely new game. Yeah, the lack of E3 is not going to make a difference. Mm. it's still going to get lost it's the social media that's the issue not E3 like I say if E3 is a physical entity I can't interact with that physical entity it's too difficult for me to go all the way to America just for E3 it won't, it, won't, know. It, it would affect me more if I was a journalist or developer but as a consumer in fact it's going to be even easier because there'll be websites I can just go to and get all the information I need mm. I don't have to spend hours watching YouTube Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see what the fallout of this is because I uh, even before this has it been cancelled or postponed I think it's been cancelled cancelled 100% I think so because oh. yeah. I've what I've seen before is journalists theorising that they've been saying that they can see E3 on its way out and they're like this is just a another big step towards that it's definitely interesting it be interesting to see what what direction it goes I think it like you said it will be a lot more digital now um, to be fair, it was going to go that way anyway. Yeah. This virus, this coronavirus, is just speeding it along, if anything. But yeah, I thought I just... It's something that's come up quite recently. I read it on the news the other day. And I, like I said, I listen to a lot of like games journalism. And 
stuff like that. So I thought I'd just... It'd be interesting to see what your opinion is, and it tied to talking about video games anyway. <laughs> but um, I realised we're uh, well over an hour into the podcast now, so I thought we got carried away. We yeah. were enjoying ourselves, enjoying ourselves, going off, Having on, a good going chat. off on tangents, moaning about things. Yeah, so um, voicing our opinions. <laughs> so everyone out there in the audience, especially in these um, scary times with what's going on with the virus and everything, just hope you. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. (laughs) Yeah. I keep reading that. And whenever I'm reading it, I have my hand on my face, you know, stroking my chin or whatever. It's like... (laughs) Contemplating as you read. Yeah, I'm like, oh, crap. I'm I'm touching my face as I'm reading this. (laughs) So, yeah, just hope everyone stays safe, stay well, and, yeah, just be sensible, be careful. You know, know, if you drink lots of whiskey, will that not just kill the virus in you? Because you'll be... Heavily inebriated. Surely, if you have more alcohol in your bloodstream, you have less virus because it's killing the virus. Oh yes, let's just biologists, en- please tell me. Let's just en- work. let's encourage our audience to binge drink, Tom. That's that'll go down really well. We're literally we're literally reviewing whiskey and recommended whiskeys. Yeah, <laughs> already. I think they say there's minor health. There's some small health benefits to having a small amount of whiskey. Probably not quite as much as by we my have. standards, this is small. It's like anyway, half a bottle, that's small. I feel like this is the episode of Tangents as we've once <laughs> gone again. Gone off on a tangent. Anyway, let's wrap it up. Let's <laughs> just try and wrap it up. Yeah, let's end this. Anyway, everyone, stay stay self, stay healthy, and... Uh, Good luck. May the force be with you. Always. Get, get that toilet paper whilst you still can. Yes, it's worth a lot. I am selling my toilet paper for ridiculous amounts. <laughs> I think I saw online £2,000 someone wanted for like a <laughs> shopping cart worth of toilet roll. Oh God, we're going off on the tangent. <laughs> Stop. Let's, 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 let's wrap it up then. Tom. This is a good quake. Thank yes. you, Henry. Thank you for the chat. Cheers.